you know, when you start college, nobody kind of ever tells you, they just kind of say, go to college. And so the advice was to get a marketing degree and I started selling insurance. And then I realized I wasn't that great at sales, trying to convince people of stuff I wasn't that convinced of myself. So I left there and then went into working for the army. And even then it was kind of like, I just needed a change. I was so frustrated where I was at. And even in some of that, it was people suggesting what my career should look like as opposed to what I really wanted. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. Today, I have Miss Tanisha Dalton. She is a former classmate of mine. We actually got our MBAs together. She is the founder of the of Woe, a women's encouragement and empowerment organization. She's taking all the scary and uncomfortable steps to build her own platform and to share it with the public. And she is mothering two beautiful young girls who keep her on her toes. Welcome to the show, Tanisha. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Glad to be here. Awesome. So I want to be able to unpack your journey and I want people to kind of be able to learn from some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and, you know, kind of take that walk with you. But the first thing we do on the podcast is I have you finish the sentence. My smartest career and money move was. When I changed jobs and when I went out on maternity leave with my second daughter, I Decided I was not coming back after maternity leave because I realized I had reached the ceiling in which they were going to move me. So I was out of maternity leave and then COVID hit and I got a job offer in the middle of that and I never went back. Wow. Okay. So we're going to circle back to that because we got to figure out how we got to that point. You were already working at the Department of Army. And so how did you go from studying marketing management to corporate Mm -hmm. events? I figured out along the way the things I didn't like. You know, when you start college, nobody kind of ever tells you, they just kind of say, go to college. And so the advice was to get a marketing degree and I started selling insurance. And then I realized I wasn't that great at sales, trying to convince people of stuff I wasn't that convinced of myself. So I left there and then went into working for the army. And even then it was kind of like, I just needed a change. I was so frustrated where I was at. And even in some of that, it was people suggesting what my career should look like as opposed to what I really wanted. So when I volunteered for planning this big event for the organization and I loved it, right? it was just natural. It was just, I was like, I would do it for free. And that's when I was like, that's it. That thing. I remember, I remember my driver's ed teacher Megan in high school saying, find something you love and you'll never work. And, you know, in high school, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Show me the money. I'm broke. I need money. So that's kind of what resonated. And so that's how I decided that what I'm doing is not what I'm meant to do for the rest of my life. It's just not it. Okay. So you went to college and then the first thing you did was start selling insurance? Out of college when I graduated, undergrad. What kind of insurance? Auto, home. Then I was oh, like, okay. life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I just had an appointment for life insurance, but I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yep. So you thought you didn't like sales, then you got into that. What kind of event was it? What was the first event they asked you to do? So the first one, we had this organization day 
every year. And it was the same old, same old. If you ever work with or been around military people, they're pretty consistent in what they do year to year. If it's not broke, don't fix it, right? And so, but people got tired of going to the same old thing all the time. Mm. So I was like, I'll do it. And so with that, I changed everything up. We had record sales. We had like half the price ticket prices. It was like a drastic change from what we had done in the past. So that was the first thing. And then after that, the army has this ball every year. It's like 1,800 people or so. And of course, you know, the last senior leaders, the president gets invited, the vice president and everybody from there down. And so the person that was leading that at the time, she was a military person and she ended up having to go on detail somewhere. So they were like, hey, can you step in for her while she's doing that? And so just those were the two major things that I did when I was there at the army. And I would do it all over again, as opposed to what I was doing for real. <laughs> so it was kind of something you were just doing on the side, like you were volunteering to plan the events. It wasn't your actual job. It was not my actual job. It was in it, other duties as assigned. So what was your actual job? <laughs> if you can so, tell us. So I was responsible for doing budget uh, planning, okay. providing the funding for military equipment and then contracting. On the government side, reviewing contracts that were being submitted for businesses that were trying to get contracts with the Department of the Army. Just leave it at that. And so did you feel like you were successful in that role, in that job? I was. I could do it. I mean, you know, we do what we have to, right? But I didn't love it. When did you discover that, like, this isn't it? It's paying the bills, but I need something else. Probably, I don't know when around about, but you know that feeling when you wake up and you hate going somewhere? Mm. You'd be like, this is not it. And you come home and then you'd be like, I just spent... 10 hours of my life today doing X <laughs> and this can't be what I was created to do. This, this can't be it. This can't, <laughs> this can't be life. <laughs> and this was before that. kids. This was before kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're feeling all too well of having to be come yeah. a bunch of times. So you're kind of just existing. What actually led you to go get your MBA? Uh, saying I was going to do it as what I thought at the time would be a stepping stone to something different, whatever that different was. And I was like, well, they getting me for all this time. I might as well see, you know, what I can get them to do for me kind of kind mm. of situation. That delayed also my leaving because I owed time for that. That was the driving force. It was kind of like, let's see what else is out there and let's see what you can do. So you didn't have like, I'm going to go get this MBA and then like, I'm going to transition over to so-and-so job or a different career, you were kind of just taking a chance on yourself with that. I was taking the chance, but so, but there was a, a point when I figured out what I wanted to do, right. Would be, which was events. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to change. And then you find out what entry level event people, mm. the salary. Right. And so it's really hard to, to take a decrease when you've kind of already been established, right? And you kind of set your lifestyle. And so that was the struggle. It was like, do I take a decrease for something that I'd love to do? Or do I kind of stay where I am and do it on the side? What does that look like? That was the struggle. That was the internal struggle at that point. Once getting the MBA, it's like, well, because I was looking, I was like, you know, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go into this full time. And then I was like, whoa. I don't know if I can do that. We had a similar experience then. I mean, mm -hmm. life is cruel in that way that like when you 
figure out what it is you want to do. It's like, it's almost like you're penalized for getting going. Cause once you're five and 10 years into something to start back over, it's like, well, my lifestyle already dictates Mm -hmm. how much I need to make. Cause you want to transition after MBA, right? I did. Mm -hmm. I actually tell that story in my own podcast episode, but yeah, I want to transition. I actually talk about you in that episode. I say, do you remember when you called or you text me and you were like, did you ever transition over to marketing? Uh (laughs) And I was like, uh, kind of not really. (laughs) That was a total move. I remember. So you go get the MBA and then what happens after that? Like in terms of your career, you have to stay there because you owe them the time and the money, but like, Kind of walk me through what you were thinking about doing. What was your game plan for your career at that point? So but not long after the MBA, I got pregnant with my daughter, my oldest daughter, right? And so that kind of changes dynamics and changes things. So I was still adamant about this is not it for me. This is not it. Wasn't certain where I was going to go. So let me back up. I forgot all about seeing, getting my years all mixed up. So, But an MBA, during grad school, it's kind of when the idea for Woe launched altogether. It was a okay. class. It, it was a networking class. So then it was like, well, if I can't transition out to full time, then I'll just do it on my own. Like I'll, I'll make my own space and then I can figure out, like I can figure out my own pay. Like I can figure it out. So that was the thought then. And then, you know, you put your timeline and you're like, well, I'm going to be gone by X. And then I got a little girl on the way. Right. <laughs> and so then it became comfortable. And now I'm in a comfortable space where the hours are good and the flexibility is good. And all these things, again, that's still like lingering, like, no, you can't do it yet. No, you can't do it yet. So I stayed about two more years, but it was still like that itching, like, so Tanasha, what are you going to do? So Tanasha, what are you going to do? And so I left from there just because I recognized that there was nothing left there for me. There was no longer where I was supposed to be. But in that, I, what you kind of identified earlier was that now, what are you going to do for yourself? Like you want to do events. What does that look like? And so I spent some time figuring out how I was going to execute that. And so I did that. I started having these quarterly events and for women, it was called a dinner and dialogue, right? So we would come together, we would have a topic of discussion and we would eat. And it was just a time for women to be, right? Quite a few of us, you know, were mothers or career people. So it's like that moment to just take everything off and just be, mm-hmm. right? And have that that dialogue and that, that interaction time. And then COVID came, <laughs> right? And then COVID came. And so events are non-existent. And so what does that look like? And so that was a challenge. And then, you know, initially just recognizing that people, women, a lot during COVID, especially initially, we were suffering. And some of us were suffering in silence, right? Because- Now we're all in one place and all of a sudden the duties and things that we kind of got to do at a certain time of day or after work and you kind of got to shift your brain. It's like an all day thing. Your five titles all at the same time, right? (laughs) A co-worker, a mother, I'm a chef, I'm a cop, everything all day, every day. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go nowhere. I can't, can't bring nobody in. And so I tried to do some virtual events a few times, but after a while, I think Zoom overload is just that, right? Mm. And, and you you kind of miss that that natural interaction that you have with people and those connections and those bonds. So that's kind of where now I'm processing what does that pivot look like coming out? Okay, so well, let's back <laughs> up. I want to go back to that networking class. Like, what is the idea? 
what hit you? Kind of walk me through that. So it was a book. I forget the book now. It's somewhere, but so it was the thought that you could create a network around your dinner table, right? And so I was like, okay, cool. So I was like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create something. And it was, initially the thought was it'll be for my classmates, my cohort or the extended grad school community, right? I'll invite women and then they'll invite a mentor. So we'll have this multi-generational, multi-professional network where we can lean into each other, right? <laughs> so that's how it started. And so it would be around my dinner table. So the first event, it was three people showed up and two of them was my mother-in-law and her best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about um, humble beginnings, but it was cool and it was a learning experience. But from that, I kind of just expanded the people that I would invite. And so maybe once a quarter, we would meet at my dinner table. I would have food. We would have a topic of discussion. And then it got to the point where I was running tables and chairs to bring into my dining mm. room to expand the table. And then one summer, it was had kind of extended to, to the deck. And I was just sitting there and I was just kind of watching the impact that the women were receiving. And I was like, maybe I've got to open it up. And so for me, that's really uncomfortable because I don't like being in the center of attention. Like I enjoy putting things together and see people enjoy it, but I don't want to be at the front of the room talking about anything particularly. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. And so I was talking with a mentor and we were just talking and she was like, yeah, you should do it. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And then she kept pushing me. She was like, yeah, but they need to hear from you. And I was like, nope, they don't need to hear from me. I just need to bring in some speakers and I can just put it together. And so that's what I did in, I think, 18, 2018, I think was the first year I went public, went into the hotel space, had speakers, and it was a good time. And the strange thing, Jerry, was I felt completely comfortable. Oh, good. Was it because of the, what do you think made you feel comfortable? Was it the audience? I think it was that I strongly believe in, in the purpose. And so it's not me trying to convince somebody of something that I'm not completely bought into. And so I think that's what it was. Like, it wasn't uncomfortable sharing why I'm here and why, why I want to pour into you. It, it wasn't, it kind of just came. And I kind of think that's probably the conundrum that most people in their careers are facing. That thing that you were trying to put words to earlier, like, this isn't it, this isn't it. It's, why am I here? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? I mean, I've seen it firsthand that like, if I'm not into the purpose, 
they're just not going to get much out of me, you know, meaning yeah. my company, my organization, they, it's just, I'm just giving bare minimum. And so it's good to hear you say that, that like, once you found that purpose, you were able to just push through some uncomfortable feelings. So you talked about that. So what were some of those feelings? I know you said you didn't want to be in front of a room, but like what made it uncomfortable to push it out there? I think that feeling of who wants to hear what I have to say, that, that those insecurities of who me. And I think a lot of that is because what we do is so natural to us that it just seems normal. It doesn't seem extraordinary. It doesn't seem like something of value because it's normal. But what I'm have grown to, to learn and understand is that you have no idea the people that are watching you and never say anything. Yeah. Right. Like people that are just like, man, she got it all together. And you'd be like, who, me? You're if like, you knew what I've my life was shambles <laughs> over here. OK, <laughs> if you only knew. But that is an inspiration to somebody else. Yeah. And so so what lately it keeps what I keep saying over and over and over and over again is that somebody is waiting for you to show up. And so so I tell myself that. So those days where I'm like, I don't think I'm ready to do that because it's not comfortable. Tanasha, somebody's waiting for you to show up. Like somebody is waiting to hear something you have to say because that is connected to their purpose, right? It's not about you. It's not about like what you think and how comfortable you're like, Jerry, somebody's waiting for you to tell them how to make extra money in STEM. Don't have nothing to do with Jerry, but it's going to change their purpose and their life and their career. And so when I kind of keep embracing what I tell other people, it just, I just keep moving. But yeah, so that's where I'm at. So now you're at a point where you're trying to figure out what's next for Woe, because <laughs> are we going back to Empire? I mean, we're outside again. Are you thinking about getting back to some events? So the short, long answer, <laughs> Jerry, is I'm kind of just in a place at the start of this year where I'm waiting for what's next in the sense that, so I know closing out last year, I know I know God's doing some things, right? And so I lean heavily in, into my faith. And so the short answer is, I don't know. And I say that because there's a lot of things, like weird stuff has happened. Like I'm doing a marriage retreat in April. Woe's doing a marriage retreat in April. I'm not really 100% sure why I'm supposed to be doing a marriage retreat, Jerry, but I'm doing a marriage retreat in April. But I think that aspect is important because that's a heavy part of, of women. It can make a break kind of mm-hmm. how you move, right? Your relationships, your closest relationships at home. So I've been figuring out what it looks like. Do we go back to quarterly events? What's the platform? What's what's the next? I don't know. I've got I mean, I've got some some ladies that I want to share with the community. Okay. But I'm not sure how yet. I don't want to I don't want to do no more Zooms. Yeah. And I think what you said is important because it's like people are Zooming for work. So yeah, I mean, I have a hard time doing that too. So it's like, mm-hmm. you want me to get on Zoom on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> too? Like, I don't think so. So yeah, I think that could be difficult. And I think we, you know, didn't really value how much we needed to be in person and how much of a difference it was just to, you know, grab some of your colleagues and get dinner or whatever and actually have conversation. I think COVID did help us realize that. So back to your smartest move. So how old are your girls? Three and five. And so when you said you didn't come back from maternity leave, was it with the second daughter? So then 
what did you do? Did you have people knocking down your door? So the crazy thing was, I feel like you've spoke to this before. Like when you've made up in your mind that that's it, like that's it. And so I remember I was at work pregnant and a friend of mine, she was going through, you know, all of where you can find all the little nursing rooms at work. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm not coming back. And she was like, what? She's like, you got a job? I was like, no. She's like, are you interviewing? I was like, no, but I'm not coming back. And I came home every day and applied for jobs every day. And I was interviewing <laughs> pregnant and I was trying to hide it. I was wearing like trying to wear the dress because so, they say it's not a thing. But let's be honest, I'm going to be out for like three to four months. Like, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. About and so I interviewed right before I went out. Two weeks before I was getting ready to go out, I had two offers to choose from. Oh, nice. Two offers to choose from. And I was in, I had, I had preferred one or the other, but they hadn't sent a final. So I remember being in the hospital, like, hey, got another offer, but this is what I'd prefer. Are in you the hospital? In the hospital. <laughs> because it's like, there's deadlines on when you have to, you know, reply. So I was like, hey, what you going to do? So within that 24 hours, they had, had got the offer to me. But so when my maternity leave concluded, actually, I shortened my maternity leave by two weeks to start at the, the new job. And so why do you think that that was one of your smartest moves? Because I saw the potential for growth. I had been in an organization where I had been there a long time. And I don't know what it is about people taking people for granted, but you know how you see stuff around you happening and you'd be like, stop giving me the BS because if you wanted to do it, you could do it. And you're not doing it because you don't want to do it. So stop. Like we're all grown here. Let's <laughs> cut it out. So it was kind of to that point. And so I recognized that where I was going, there was opportunities for growth and I understood they appreciated flexibility. And so just so happened, I start the day I started with the day the world shut down. Mm. And I know had I been at my old job in the middle of COVID that I probably would have got fired. Because Why would the, you have gotten fired? Because I probably would have lost it. Because, of, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm home with the newborn. It's COVID. And they would have been pressing me to do things like show up at eight o'clock just to check in. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. So that was the best career move. And as a result, now I'm going into a position of leadership there off of somebody else's observation. Like it kind of, the domino effect was other people recognized my value. And I started learning about opportunities because people were watching. People are always watching. And, but I'm like, how are you watching? I'm at home seven days mm-hmm. a week. Cause you know, it's, it's COVID. And so you just gotta be mindful of when you're no longer appreciated, when they no longer find you to be a value. And I laugh about it because where I am now, it's like all the things that they took for granted is like gold. It's what's lacking where I am. So if I would say anything to people who are kind of in a situation of, am I, do I stay? Do I go? Mm-hmm. Like when you're at a point when you recognize that they no longer recognize your value, it's nothing you're going to say. You're not going to outwork their decision. You're not going to outwork how they look and feel about you. You know, they're still going to overlook you for that promotion because they've already made up in their mind that you're not worth it. So the takeaway is like, <laughs> I mean, and this is like for real, because people don't mm-hmm. realize they think that things aren't going well at work. I can just work harder and I can change people's opinion. It's like corporate is so funny like that. It's like once the mind is made up, the mind is made up. When people decide that put you in a certain bucket at work, yeah. either you highly value, unvalue, just serving your purpose. The only way to get around it is to leave. That's it. I mean, it's kind of disheartening because people 
might want to go places and sit longer, but the only way to rebrand yourself, I always talk about your professional brand. I've had to leave jobs every five minutes, it seems. But yeah, if you want to do something different, you just kind of got to, you got to watch what people are doing versus what they're saying. And it be kind of came the culture there, like new leadership came in, things were changing and you could see patterns. Right. And you'd be like, okay. So give me an example of like what somebody is doing versus what they're saying at work and how we can look out for that. So when they say things like, oh, you know, we don't have it, any positions or we don't have it in the budget this year. And then you see somebody else where they creating positions for that didn't even exist. They're not even (laughs) the organizational chart. They just making up stuff. And you'd be like, oh, I thought you didn't. That. Or when you ask what it takes, like, what are you looking for out of somebody in in the next promotion or the next grade? And they can't give you an answer. But then your evaluations will say you're doing a great job. That's just lazy leadership. I call Mm -hmm. it lazy leadership. Mm -hmm. They don't want to coach you. They're not really paying attention to what you're doing. And that's why they can't tell you nothing other than meets expectations. And yeah, so they definitely can't help you figure out what to do next or how to excel but just watch what yeah. they do to other people. Watch how, that's what be my advice. Just, just watch how they move for other people. So what's next for Tanasha? And how can we support you? Ooh, Jerry, what's next? I am becoming more and more comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm really, I think I was sharing with you earlier, I'm doing a, a speaking event a few days. And I was kind of like, I don't want to know how many people are going to be there. That way I don't go in with one feeling one way or the other. I just want to show up. And then they send me an email and tell me people how many people were tentatively already scheduled. And I was like, <gasps> how many? Almost 50. So I'll be doing that. But is I it talk in person? About, it is live. It is oh, a live okay. event. It is. Live. So I'll be looking at people eye to eye. But it's exciting. So what's next for me is there will be some expansions of woe. There will be some more presence of me sharing what I ultimately think is important for people to know. Like, just you got to show up. You got to show up. And you, we were all created for a purpose. And somebody is waiting for that. Somebody's waiting for that gift that only you have. And so that's what I'll be doing this year. I will still be encouraging and excited for women to do great things because we are just that. We we are great. We can multitask. We will shift from this conversation and in the next hour we will put on a completely different hat and do something completely different than two hours after that when my kids go to sleep I'll be back in the office doing something for me wow. yet again and so we'll just see Jerry we'll just see there's people are pushing me to stuff so myself included last question I see your beautiful library behind you what resource book favorite thing that you can share with the audience has kind of helped shape your mindset about pushing through uncomfortableness. So what keeps jumping out is the ha- the seven habits of highly effective people. And the book is amazing in and of itself. But what the book forced me to do was they there's a section in there where you write a personal mission statement and it causes you to sit down and take off everything that people told you you should do, take off all the things family, all the things family told you, how everybody told you to look at the world. And you got to sit and sit with yourself and be like, well, what do I think about X? What do I think? Right. And so if you sit and do that personal mission statement exercise, 
you kind of never look at each day the same. And you are reminded of what you think your purpose is and what you wake up every day to do and who you're trying to impact and why you're trying to impact them. So right now I'm going to go with seven habits of highly effective. Awesome. I've actually not read the book. You will love it. I know. It's I know a geek. There are so many things that I'm surprised. I mean, I've clearly heard of the book a million times, Mm -hmm. but you've encouraged me. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get the audio book and uh <laughs> yeah, yes, get the audiobook. And I can't wait to hear what your one-liner you person. Yeah. That's a good exercise. I think I know what it is, but it's a good exercise. But thanks so much for sharing with us today, Tanasha. You dropped some incredible, incredible gems. And I see people, you know, moving forward, doing the thing that somebody is waiting for. Doing the so. thing. Yes. And you as well. I'm like, before you close, I know it's your podcast, but how exciting for the launch of the podcast, how exciting (laughs) put in you labored in this shift and this change for yourself for over a year. So it was awesome to see your post. I'm not a STEM background. I listen and I check it out. And so much success to you as you continue in this coaching journey. I know your work ethic. So those of you who don't know Jerry and her work Mm -hmm. ethic, let me tell you something. If you are thinking or considering someone to work with, Jerry's going to give a thousand percent and she's going to share her experience and her knowledge. So if you are considering and you are in STEM, you are in good and safe hands with Jerry. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a podcast, but I know it (laughs) because I saw the work ethic behind the scenes, the stuff that she doesn't share. And so she is very driven and dedicated in that. So much success to you. Jerry, I can't wait to see what's next after this podcast. Thank you, Tanasha. This turned into an impromptu testimonial. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.